LDB, 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 LDB. Good evening and welcome, LDB. It is time for your favorite podcast, uh, the LDB Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Schutzer, joined by the co-commissioner and co-host, Mr. Matthew Starr. Matt, what's good? Uh, exciting times. Uh, I'm exhausted, but uh, it's it's good to be here. Good to have the season going. Good to have drafted. It was great to see everyone on Saturday. Nothing but uh, good things to say right now. Awesome, man. We also have Michael Becker. Michael, how you doing? Doing great. Feeling good. Happy to be here. Good to see you. Uh, and of course, we also have our co-host, Sean Crean. Sean, I know your team is not uh, as competitive as, as you were maybe hoping going into this year, but uh, how are you holding up? Oh, no, I was about to say, I think I had an amazing auction. Looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be strong this year. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Well, I think that actually gives us the segue we want. Like, so, you know, obviously it's it's March 29th, uh, about 9 p.m. here uh, on the East Coast. So we, we, we are now, um, what is it, three days post-draft, roughly. Um, how are you guys feeling about how the draft went, just generally, before we even delve into the, the trends of the draft, et cetera? It was great to see everybody, at least virtually, and certainly the group that was in the room. Even the ones we banished to the basement for sound purposes, it was just really fulfilling. I mean, it, an exhausting day, and it always is, but super fulfilling to actually see and be with people and share beers and eat Italian subs and do all the, the whole the whole shebang. Yeah, it was it was funny. I was I was kind of reflecting on it at the at the end of the evening, like you know, even even though I was like in. A separate room from a lot of folks for a lot of the draft i just came away from that like just being around people and talking you know kind of talking about baseball and whatnot just felt so like strangely energizing like um then in a way that i was not expecting i was just like jazzed up and like you know everyone else who was staying here went to sleep super early and i was up until like 1 a.m so just like you know going on the vibes of the day i guess yeah it's a good day it's a good day there was yeah, definitely you how was california well i was gonna say it looks like you guys like in uh, matt's house had a fairly close approximation of what a normal auction is i mean not quite as many people but a, a cool cool crowd and chris had his somewhat usual uh co-auction with vj and mine was the same normal i mean for me like since we've been in california i think i've been in dc maybe Definitely once, maybe twice. So it, in some ways it normal, it equalizes it when more people are, are virtual, but it's definitely not as good um, for like crosstalk and all that. So I'm looking forward to hanging out in person next year. I, I can commit, I will be there in 2023 and excited about that. But uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, I always feel shell-shocked. I, um, I texted Tim afterwards, just curious how he felt with his first auction. And he, he agreed it was, it's like a, it's quite a force to, to go through that six, seven hour exercise. And, and uh, I know he's been in leagues before, but I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine it's similar to a 10 teamer in terms of the intensity. No, I, I felt like Tim, Tim just looked physically uh, exhausted at the end of that draft. 
<laughs> Trial by fire, man. Trial by fire. There was one downside to the day. Um, during the lunch break, uh, at, while I was exiting the car and trying to hustle across 9th Street to the sandwich shop, I tweaked my knee. Oh, no. <laughs> and I currently have a, a uh, I'm alternating uh, heat and ice, uh, which, of course, doesn't bode well for my adult men's baseball league career. Uh, I, I'm going to try and tough it out on Sunday, our first game. Uh, but I think you can most certainly strap the injury plague to label on me. So, so like you're like a Jack Flaherty. You're like a Brandon Belt. You know, you play two-thirds of the season, always something nagging. You aim for high-quality performances when you're on the field. Yeah, I mean, when you when you have – you just want your talent to shine through. And there's no worse feeling than your body just not cooperating. Um, so I, I understand that plight that Brandon Belt has, Jack Flaherty. Um, really, I can only think of Jack Flaherty. Yeah, just, <laughs> only because you're staring at me and want to make me suffer. And, and, Lance, and Lance McCullers, I think. Lance, Lance McCullers, of course. Of course. You all are dicks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mitch Hitler came back from a testicle injury. Had a huge year. I went a like, little cheap in the auction. I wonder if that was a testicle discount. I don't know. I know we're going to get into some of the pricing, but so just real quick on the injuries before before we go to the pricing. I, a friend of mine out here told me that uh, if there's a if there's a boss man upstairs, the warranty on our bodies that he made was uh, forty years because at forty years, like nothing works anymore, and <laughs> you can't you can't get it replaced. So take care of that knee, and I hope the sandwich was worth it. Uh, what sandwich? It was a get? delicious sandwich. Yeah, yeah. We, I I, t I took some folks to an Italian deli in the neighborhood, which is outstanding place to get a good sandwich around here. Yeah. All right, Becker. Why don't you lead us in a discussion about the trends of the draft before we do a, a deep dive on some of these teams? Certainly. So I take great interest in uh, some of the game theory behind drafting. I'm not sure how many people in the league do think about this similarly, but um, I am almost less concerned about players than I am about values. And so um, I thought a lot about how the draft might flow. And e each draft is unique. Last year's draft was different than this year's draft. Uh, but I, I think the, the top level um, reflection is that I was struck by the amount of values The amount of values in the draft. Sorry, I am I'm experiencing some technical difficulties here, uh, but I'll continue. Uh, yeah, I was struck by the amount of values on the premier talent that, and, and we can discuss Trout, we can discuss um, Musgrove and and others, uh, even someone like Jay Ram or Trey Turner. Um, so that that was really surprising, but I think the the room kind of connect uh, corrected very quickly. And so some of the, the mid-tier guys who everyone was expecting to maybe get values on, uh, those values weren't necessarily there. Um, and then I think a lot of people were running out of money and folks like Mark uh, swooped in and got some really great deals. And so I, I just I found it very interesting that it started off a little cold, it got pretty hot, and then it cooled off a bit. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that would be my exact assessment of it, too. Um, 
Yeah, Chris, Chris, did you want to say something? Sorry, I just jumped in there. No, no, you first, you first. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to basically just say the same thing. I, I thought the most jarring thing is that the to me was, I was certainly struck by um, the number of values that were had early in the draft, like in the first couple of rounds when all the most expensive players came off the board. I was expecting to see a lot of these guys go, you know, 5, 10, 15, dollars more than they ended up going for and i think that was really the place to have value and then and like like michael said things kind of course corrected and then the next year of players was all pretty much as i had expected so it was really it was interesting and kind of unusual that was what happened i don't know if you were were kind of gun shy coming into the auction or or, or whatnot but um there was there was definitely a lot of value to be had early on in particular i just think we had not seen an auction where one team was carrying as much money as mark was and I think what that really translated to is that everyone else was really feeling like they were going to get one premier guy at most. There was nobody other than Mark that thought that they were going to get two. And I just think that in the early draft, that made price enforcing really dangerous. Like if you if you didn't need an outfielder and you were bidding high on Trout and you got stuck with him, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was going to change the entire way that you looked at things. Um, sure did. I, I, I will take issue with that, though. I, Mark bought Cole as like the fifth player in the draft, and he has had as much money as everybody else had. And so there was no financial advantage at that point. And even the decision practice. to take on DeGrom really leveled the playing fields because he, he could have had, as we discussed last time, $260 million to spend. Uh, DeGrom took $60 million off, and then Cole took another 65 million off and as star said we're he's right back where everyone else is so that had he chosen not to go pocket aces i, I think that's the right move and we can talk about it but had he chosen to do it a different way I, I think it would have been a very different auction for everybody but no one really knew that that was going to happen until it happened and then you know people started scrambling you know the other thing that i think really did happen was uh there were there were values uh right in after lunch so you talk about there being a course correction there was but then the values came back again and i don't know why on that one right like there were players that should have been going for 10 million more than they did uh with consistency you know roughly around the 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 second silent auction um and then in the in the rounds that followed it so um Anyway, Sean, what do you think? Any any thoughts on on this? Yeah, I mean, I think to the extent that there's there's extreme value in certain parts of the the auction, then that implies that there are a lot of overpays. I I can think of one or two. I think I was reflecting on this. Like, if you go back five or seven years, we didn't used to have many players, if any players, besides Trout in his heyday, that would go for sixty million or more. So, I mean, I, I and, you know, depending on how you run a calculator and calibrate it for our league, you will get values that are closer to like tapping out at, at 50 million. So I, I agree with you all. I think this breaks recent precedent and it, it was odd. Um, but yeah, that, that just speaks to, yeah, the strangeness of, of, of auctions in general. I mean, I think I look at a, a guy like Musgrove. Brophy threw me off to nominate Gallon right away. I have a soft spot for him. Uh, having grabbed him originally and then kind of followed him over time. And he was one of the guys I had targeted. I like the price I got for him in the end, but I would have much rather had Musgrove for 34. But I was thinking about this, like if even one other person had been in on Musgrove 
or Trout at that level, it, it could have gone another 10 million up. So it's just one of these things where you can kind of beat yourself up in the in retro in the retrospect. But if just one other person was involved, it would have just participated another round of bidding in my mind because people would have had a moment to pause and reflect and say, hey, actually, this is someone worth fighting over. So that's just one of the funny things. So good for Becker. Uh, I forgot who got Musgrove, but good for whoever. That I did. Was. That was me. You did? Well, F you. Um, and because uh, you didn't need it. I, you know, I'm good for both of you. But um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think there were a lot of $20 million ish players that were a little lower than I expected. Um, and yeah, there are some irrational prices when you compare two players. Uh, we could go into that if you want, but um, but yeah. I don't want this to sound like gloating, but do you think the Trout um, uh, value came because nobody targeted him? I know I didn't. And the only reason I jumped from 40 to 45 was simply to get the bidding up higher uh, so that, you know, two or three people could take it to 55 or 60 or even higher. I, I didn't expect to get him. He wasn't even on a target list. Uh, despite the fact that I wore his jersey <laughs> to the draft. Uh, but, like, could it have been that all of us just assumed somebody else would end up with my trout? I went into the draft thinking literally in my head, if I could get trout for $45 million, I'd be happy with that and I would take him. So I was sort of like, that's a good price. Uh, no, I, I thought about it, but I, I think once I got money off the board and one other player, I, I in my head, somewhat artificially just assumed I would spend $70 million on two players. I'd ended up not doing that. But I probably could have, but yeah, that for me, like that's the way I kind of go into it, like a bucket of this is the cash I'm using on the big acquisitions. Um, I, I think other people would have been interested in them. It, it's a brain fart. I don't think there's any other good explanation for it. And it's yeah, not I mean, just a trout thing. It's it's J Ram. It's Trey, Trey Turner at 47. Yeah, yeah. Which was Tur in, Turner in was the other one. Turner at 47, then Trout at 45. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. lie to you. Like, I, I don't really think that very many things went well for for the Dippas on draft day, in part because of where the team was headed going into the day. But I will, I will tell you this: I, VJ, and I were having a debate about what's the number that we don't match for Trey Turner, and we determined that it was sixty-one. So, you know, we were ready to go all the way up to sixty, and we got him for forty-seven. That that's that's pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I felt like I had like analysis paralysis that I had filled so many spots coming into the auction that like I had like one big spend. And for me, it was like clearly third base. And so I drove, you know, I was one who drove Ramirez up to 50. And then even that was lower than I thought. And uh, then he got matched. So I couldn't I didn't get to actually have him. But um, I think I was just like I the way my roster was constructed, I was like, even though I thought these were deals, I was like, I can't like fit Turner or Trout onto my roster without like having to then make a trade at this point. So I got kind of stuck uh, in, in that way. And then also just like, same thing with like some of the pitchers, like Scherzer also was another one who I thought went for crazy cheap, but I was like, I can't spend 50 million on a pitcher. So even though I thought the deal was insane, I just didn't have the money for it. Beck, are you are you good with this? Should we move on? You think we've had enough talk about this? You want to go a little? Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about some individual teams and divisions because I'm sure we'll get into specific players and other values. But I, I you know, spent a lot of time kind of trying to digest it, and it sounds like 
at least we have kind of a similar concept of how the draft went, but uh, I'd be curious about others, but I'll, I'll have those sidebars. Yeah. And I think as we, as we sort of do like a, a one or two minutes on each team here, we'll, we'll have a chance just to, uh, to look at some of the individual strategies. Um, and, you know, one of the things we might notice is that, the, that some of these teams that were carrying a lot of uh, S and H contracts at a particular position that may maybe hamstrung them in the draft, kind of like what Star is saying, needing to make a trade. Like I, I couldn't get an outfielder for the most part. Um, I already had my entire outfield filled. Like it's stuff like that. So, um, Commissioner, I think we give the honor to you. Uh, why don't you start? Um, we just for our listeners, uh, as a little bit of preparation, the four of us each took a division. Uh, we're going to lead a discussion on 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 our divisions. Um, we are swapping leagues, so Sean and I are going to cover the Union, and uh, Becker and Star are going to cover Federal. So um, let's do Federal first. Uh, I'll keep my eye on the clock to make sure that we're we're moving at a at a brisk pace. Um, Matthew Star, are you ready to to lead us in a discussion? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm starting with uh, what California winner, right? That's, that's I don't know the I don't know the names of our divisions. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> or the divisions in the federal league, at least. Um, yeah, so I mean, I I took a pretty deep dive. Uh, so th this, for those who who may not know off the top of their head, this is this is Brophy, uh, Paul, um, Sean, and um, Tim, in in the California Winter Division. And I think uh, my takeaway is this is uh, at least those no no disrespect to Sean but the other three teams in this division are absolutely fucking loaded and it's going to be a knife fight all the way to the end I think um this is you know I, I think all American girls which which Sean might talk about is also pretty stacked but the the quality at the top of this division is is just nuts um you know I'll start with Tim's team um just a quick breakdown tim uh I, I ran projections on each of the three teams and i think uh, and actually on about half the league but tim is far and away projected to lead the league in home runs runs rbis ops like by a wide margin uh like like 40 home runs over the next best team kind of situation it's it's absolutely insane um and you know, I, I in the auction, I you know, as the as the auction was unfolding, I thought he his pitching wasn't great, but I took a deeper dive today on the pitching staff, and I'm actually pretty impressed with the pitching too. It's he doesn't really have like a true ace, but he really loaded up on on guys in like the you know two three range, and he's got he came in with Montas and Manoa, then also picked up Blake Snell and maybe Evaldi, two guys I really like, two guys I thought. I might end up with it in this auction. So I, you know, I, I, I thought he got Eovaldi in particular with some pretty nice price for a pretty nice price and then has just incredible depth. So, I mean, this, this team, you know, is going to be like top, you know, three, four in offense. It's going to be middle tier in pitching. Um, and it, it's and the only real weakness is you know, he, he he kind of punted on stolen bases, but you know that happens sometimes when you when you're projected to hit as many home runs as his team is projected to hit. Um, but and then uh, you know Brophy is Brophy. Um, Brophy came into the auction. I think I never fully reran the numbers, but with the most 
projected surplus, did not squander that at all. Uh, I mean, his pitching is pretty outstanding. I thought, you know, even Woodruff at 57 was less than I was expecting him to go for. And Brophy kind of needed like one pitcher and got, you know, probably the second best pitcher available in this draft. Um, and already had what was a pretty loaded offense. Um, he's got a ton of offensive depth in particular, uh, as he tends to do. Uh, it's a little harder to run a projection on on what that looks like because there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching. But again, I think this is going to be, you know, a top a team that could finish like top five offense, top five pitching. And and then there's Paul, who I think has probably the best pitching of the three teams in this league. And uh, I think maybe the weakest offense, but certainly not a weak offense by any stretch. I think this is a, a top half of the league offense with probably top three pitching. And, you know, I, I, I wish these guys all luck because this is maybe, you know, by projected, you know, Roto finishes, this is maybe three of the top five teams in the league all in the same division. Um, so this is, this is going to be, uh, this one's going to be fun. Um, I don't know, Chris, how you're feeling about being on the other side uh, over in Iron Oil over there. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's it, it nice to kind of uh, avoid this, whatever this is going to be. Um, you know, and then there's Sean, who I don't want to leave out. I don't, I don't, I, I didn't take as much of a deep dive on Sean. But I like some of the buys that Sean made. I think, you know, I think this is a team that, you know, won't be completely like a complete disaster. I think the offense has some interesting players on it. I think they're, you know, I like Zach Gallon like Sean does. Uh, you know, the pitching is not great, but I think it will be okay. And the offense will be actually maybe half decent. And, you know, it's not a team that's going to get absolutely annihilated. But, you know, that's about as much nice things as I can say about Sean's team. <laughs> Sean, you taking the bait? <laughs> Sure. Um, I'm sorry. I, I set the way during the analysis of Paul's team. I was going to say uh, you miss. I don't think you mentioned Jesus Lazardo, who his velocity for um, for for Tim's team. I'm already feeling a little bit of regret, which is counteracted by Mackenzie Gore also looking really good in spring training. But but uh, Luzardo has apparently added two and a half miles per hour to his all of his pitches. So. I think that's another guy on his rotation. But yeah, just generally agree. Uh, fierce division feels like a good year for me to chill out and uh, and reset. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm not here to 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 pump up my team. I I do think that the pitching could surprise. There's a few guys. I actually I kind of at a certain point in the auction felt like I wasn't going to have to pay as much for like the SP four five types. That had a little bit of upside and decided not to like to spend 12 to 15 in years past i feel like some of these guys i got i would have had to pay a few million more so i was just happy to build a little bit more of a portfolio there i think if i had more money i would have liked to have kept avaldi and i'm not quite as confident as ian mid auction at like selling a guy who i clearly haven't budgeted for uh so i i wonder if i could have gotten more uh mid auction because i do agree that was a good price um, although for me, an RFA is not very useful um, this year. So, uh, yeah, no, I think I think it's going to be a, a fierce battle in California winter. Uh, Sean, on your team, I, I did like a couple of guys that I was hoping to get kind of at the back of my rotation that you ended up with. I do like both Ryan Yarbrough and Eliezer Hernandez. 
Um, the fact that Yarbrough is throwing 90-91 right now is wild, which doesn't sound like anything. This is a guy who sits 86-87, and, like, you know, if if the Rays can get him to sit at 90-91, like, maybe Ryan Yarbrough is, like, the next <laughs> – their own internal reclamation project. Yeah, Yarbrough was a guy I wanted to. Um, I totally overreacted to spring training velocity increases on the margins. Like, Mad Bum also has a few miles per hour more this year. So, we'll see. We'll see. And Anton got somebody today who I was very frustrated at. Cole Irvin, who got picked, who didn't get drafted, uh, also is another guy who's both added a pitch and uh, has had a big velocity bump. Kind of bummed to see that happen. All right. Um, winter is coming. Any other thoughts on California winter, gentlemen, before we, we move on to the other half of federal? Then it's the Michael Becker show. Take us through the iron and the oil, sir. Sure. So the iron and the oil includes Jorby, Anton, Mark, and Chris in VJ. I think I want to spend most of my time on Mark. Uh, let me just say, as a general matter, I think Mark and Jorby are probably going to finish 1-2 in this. Um, I hope that is not surprising to you, Chris. I'd say that only because I'm a little bit concerned about uh, the health of your pitching staff. If it weren't for that, you'd be just as competitive, if not the favorite. Um, so it may be that I'm, I'm giving too much credence to uh, health and injuries, but I think pitchers are going to get injured. And if they start off injured, that's it's tough to recover from that. Uh, it's not insurmountable. Uh, you can win with an ace or two aces or two, pit, two decently uh, valuable pitchers in a good bullpen. Um, so long as you hit, but uh, you're going to have, I think, a tougher time. But really, this is this is about Mark. Um, I, I really enjoyed his strategy of going pocket aces. I thought it, it uh, he had the money to do it, and he bought the two best pitchers in baseball. Uh, there are injury questions there, certainly, more so with DeGrom than Cole. But I think we've seen enough of DeGrom in spring training uh, that he's – hitting 99 miles an hour. Uh, nobody seems particularly concerned. We're not hearing about dead arm. Those would have been things that caught my attention and we're not hearing that. So he starts off immediately with the two best pitchers and most valuable pitchers in our league. What I'm most curious about is the offense though. I know he's um, you know, done a similar thing in the past several years, which has put no resources in offense. I'm wondering when that occurs. I think it could occur tomorrow. Uh, if, if I had an opportunity to co-manage his team, I'd start trading off individual AA players to fill every single offensive position, um, besides obviously Nick, Nick Castellanos, Robbie Grossman, Corey Seager. Uh, I mean, he, he has so many prospects. Name one, he could sell Vidal Brujan for a starting center fielder in LDB. He could sell, um, you know, uh, Christian Pache uh, and George Valera for a starting second baseman. Uh, I don't think he'll get a ton of help from his farm this year. He should um, promote Kyle Tucker. That's got to happen. And he should be a really valuable player. But the rest of the guys might be like a year away and you run the risk of kind of um, 
letting them get stale on the vine if you keep them without churning them. So I think his his immediate path would be to sell off a third to a half of his double A team for good keeper offensive keeper contracts. If he does that, I think he's the runaway favorite. Uh, if he stays as is, like you and everyone else in the league, save maybe Anton, can can beat him in hitting. Um, and you can't you, you can invest the most in pitching in the league. The most you can win are six pitching categories. So I think. I think there's some limitations to the way his roster is constructed now, but there's some real buying opportunity. When it comes to Jorvi, I really like the way he constructed his team and specifically the values he got in Mitch Hanniger, Kyle Schwarber, um, and Max Scherzer. I think Scherzer is probably about par value at 49 million, um, but gosh, Kyle Schwarber at 19, I could have seen him going for 30 to 35. Uh, I think he's going to be an incredibly valuable LDV player. And to get him on a K-1 contract uh, will be really helpful. Mitch Hanniger, I also had on top of my board, is one of the best outfielders available. I think he's a phenomenal player, and he's just uh, – I personally believe he's getting better. So to get him at 14 could be one of the steals of the draft too. So between – uh, his existing homegrown contracts, Ronald Acuna, who they say will be back in April. I'm going to put it mid-May. Uh, a, a terrific pitching staff now with with Scherzer and Giolito, top of the line. Like really, really, really like his team. Um, have I spoken enough about your boys, Chris? I, I think that Trey Turner might have been the steal of the draft. Uh, I thought that you will you will be competitive on offense every single week. I'd like to think um, Josh Bell is going to have a good year, I believe. Trey Turner, Jesse Winker, Chris Bryan, and Coors Fields. I mean, you know how that ends. So I I, I think the jury's still out on you, Anton. Um, you know, we all knew that he was playing for future, so he spent a lot of cash to get a lot of picks. There wasn't a ton to spend for him at auction. I do like his strategy of getting Justin Turner and Whit Merrifield as K-1s. I think, I think that's a, a decent enough price on Turner that somebody, a competitor, may want to purchase that contract, if not uh, for the three years, at least for like this one season, if there's an injury at third base. I could see the same with Whit Merrifield. So I think there will be some assets available he took an interesting shot on Bailey Ober, um, Chris Flexen, maybe a Zach Granke uh, rejuvenation in Kansas City, and his bullpen yeah. is solid. I yeah, so I think you I think you nailed it. Um, I think you know going back to what you said on Mark. Um, personally, I think he's going to have trouble making the trades, and mostly based on the time of the season. He might be able to pick off a player here and there. But he's going to have to wait for people to start selling. And so the teams that are already selling, they might have a few, right? So if he wants to go out and talk to Ray about getting um, Ramirez right off the bat, like that's something he could probably pull off. But there's not too many guys that are going to just totally make him the favorite to win this thing now. But in week six, week seven, maybe, you know, I think it's, Mark's gotta Mark's gotta stay in in uh, in the hunt with Jorby uh, in the first few weeks so that he can trade for what he wants to do. 
and he's certainly in a position to do that. And I, I view my team, you know, you, you asked, did you, did you talk about my team? I don't want to talk about my team that much. I feel like I talk about my team on this podcast way too much as it is. But I'll say this, like, I think the plan is just to try to stay afloat for the first five, six weeks. If I can go 500 until these guys get back, uh, manage my way to it, then we'll see. But, you know, I think I, I saw the writing on the wall going into this year. It's why I traded Judge and tried to get a little longer out with Carlson. I'm okay with where I'm at. Um, I think I can, I think I can stay competitive and try to surprise. So we'll see. Um, I see that Mr. Matthew Starr would like to make a comment. Yeah. I, I just wanted to chime in and make a couple of comments on, on, so I, I tried to, I tried to pry from Mark kind of what, what it was that he was going for trying to point out that, you know, you can have the starting best starting pitching in the world and suddenly win five categories every week. Um, which, you know, I, I think that it's, there's clearly another step to this plan because like, you know, from my perspective, this is a better team. If you take that, you know, 40 million you spent on Aaron Nola and invest it in second and third, you know, in second and third base or whatever, um, you know, from a competitiveness perspective, like you know, your pitching only needs to be so good. So I imagine that there's another step to this plan in terms of trading for bats at some point. Uh, and, that, and that thought was maybe it's easier to acquire, you know, decent bats who are upgrades on these kind of like placeholders he has some of these positions than you know acquiring aces like he has so maybe that's what it is but you know, as it as it currently stands this is a this is a 500 team uh because you just you know his offense is terrible it's it's one of the worst offenses in the league it's not going to win a lot of categories and you're not going to you're not going to speak pitching every single week even with this group and severino's hurt severino's already hurt He's already going to start the season on the IL. I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens when you put all your faith in pitching. So, uh, I mean, that's th this is a concern that I have with the team that is built this way. I mean, I'm sure Mark has the assets to make this work. So it's it's going to depend on what he does there. But it's it's an odd decision to come in with a team that I think is is kind of positioned as a 500 team just because of how it's constructed. But Mark's not afraid to take these shots. That's and, true. Yeah. Um, all right, Sean. I just want to say one other thing. I, just want, I thought Jorvi had I, – I didn't love his team coming into the auction. I thought he had maybe one of the best auctions of anybody just because of those prices on Schwarber and Hanniger and Scherzer. All three of those guys I thought were absolute steals. And I think his team is now right in the thick of it because he had a great auction, which is, you know, to his credit, not something – I feel like he's had some bad auctions before. Those we've come on here and, and talked about last year how he was positioned very well coming into the season and did not have a great auction. I think this is maybe the best auction he's had. Sean, you want to say something? Uh, yeah, I think maybe um, maybe Jordy benefits from a little less hype coming into the year. I, I'm, I'm, I'm high on his team as well. Um, yeah, just on Mark, I'm not convinced that he wants to sell any of his premium assets. Uh, I think I remember early in the delay draft sending him an email being like, you really need all those picks? And then suddenly he was selling them. I feel like he realized there's no real reason. Can you guys hear okay? I know my kids are making noise in the background. Yeah, yeah he's not fine. Um, that there was no real reason to have that many double-A picks on a go-forward basis after all the assets he already accumulated. I don't think that means he wants to be selling some of his premium chips now. I mean, for all we know, maybe Mark will also pivot at midseason and sell DeGrom and Cole for a, a couple more premium chips for, for next year. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. I think 
if he wants J-Ram from Ray, he could probably get him. Uh, Trevor Story could fit in at sec second base if he wants to give me a ring. Um, he could definitely make some trades right away. So I'm sure we will be hearing from him soon. And uh, yeah, good analysis, Becker. All right, awesome. Sean, dealer's choice. Do you want to go before me or after me? I can go. Uh, so All-American Girls is looking very strong. I would put it into, you know, definite playoff contender tier and then, you know, overall favorites or among the favorites for the, the whole crown um, in Star and Becker at, at the top. And then Nate and Ian with really strong teams, but maybe a little bit a couple low. So starting with Ian's team, um, I really like the offense. Um, I don't really see a ton of holes, you know, Ahmed Rosario, eh, maybe there's another gear there. Uh, probably the, the, the biggest weakness, um, you know, love the outfield and Marte, Betts, Hernandez, Teoscar Hernandez, um, you know, pretty strong infield other than Rosario. Ian, and, I, and I'd be cur curious to get the group's take here, so maybe we can make it a little interactive. He has taken on a ton of risk um, on the pitching staff. So a lot of upside here, um, but we're already seeing the downside as Chris Sale starts the season with an unexpected injury to the ribs, um, you know, as opposed to another part of the, the kinetic chain. But, you know, that's a little worrisome. I don't know if he's really going to come back in a few weeks. Hopefully he does. Um, Clevenger today. Again, as you all know, I've been obsessing about Mackenzie Gore because I have nothing else to do since my team sucks for this year. But he piggybacked today with a start with Mike Clevenger, which I saw in the tweets. Clevenger gave up a ton of runs today, so I don't know how great he's looking in spring training. Um, I believe Verlander's velocity is looking okay, but but you all chime in. I, I just see – I like all of these guys in isolation. If you're going to build a portfolio, I would want exposure to maybe one, possibly two of them. But I think to stack them all together um, is a lot of risk. So I think it could really work out for Ian, and I'm rooting for all these guys. Um, but that's my one concern with the box. Uh, whoever, who have a really strong team overall, and I think Ian's done great work to put this team back together after you know a long rebuild. Um, I can I, I can go on to Nate, but I'd be curious any thoughts on the pitching on Ian's side. I mean, I I, I have I, I'm in the, you know I'm, I was taking a deep dive into pitching today and and absolutely agree i mean it's it, there's a lot of, of upside here but this is it, it is a lot so much risk to lump together like the kind of thing where it could cause the bottom to fall out on your season and i don't like taking on that much risk you know sale like you said sales already hurt um you know it, it's not an arm thing so i guess that's that's a positive but Mike Clevenger just looks like he's going to get injured every time he throws a pitch. Uh, he He's the most terrifying pitcher to me. I just don't think the guy can stay healthy. Um, you know, Verlander, I hope I hope he's okay, but you just never know. Come, you know, the guy hasn't thrown a pitch in a, in a professional game in two years. I just don't know what that's going to look like. Um, and so it's just it's just a lot of risk. And I think yeah, the offense is, is, is good. I think it's a little lacking in, in terms of power. Um, but you know, it's, it's a solid offense. It's not a great offense. And so, you know, there's a lot of upside here if the pitching clicks, but also a lot of downside if, if this goes horribly wrong for him. Becker, we know you're talking, but you're on mute. So you're going to have to start that over again, my friend. Um, 
I won't I won't beat the dead horse. I agree with the with the crowd here. Ian, I think you're a little high on your own supply. Uh, and next time you come on, you can you can uh, challenge us on that. But I, I think your your staff is not as good as you think it is. Um, so Sean, I'll turn it back over to you. I, I know Becker continues to have uh, some some technical difficulties. So why don't you walk us into the next team here that you want to cover? Sure, sure. Moving on. Um, I, I also like Nate's team. I would say I think um, you know clear clear playoff contender. His staff is looking really strong. Um, Trevor Rogers obviously was the the buy of of the 2021 auction. Um, you know Wheeler. Hopefully the injury recovery is is okay. I'm a little bit worried about that. Bullpen looks strong. Um, you know the guys behind um, the front line there. Ian Anderson is a you know a great S1. Um, we'll see where Manea lands. Uh, you know, I guess there's a little bit of risk there. Clearly the A's are going to move him. Um, I'd be surprised if they don't move him very soon. Um, Tyon, I, I don't know what to make of him. I, I, I was a little worried about him, maybe a little bit of an overpay there, but overall Nate always finds good values in, in the, in the auction. Um, kind of the reverse in my mind, not to overly not to force a narrative here, but I, I think Nate has more injury risk on the offense side where Ian had it on the, uh, the uh, the pitching side, maybe not just injury, but just performance risk. I could see some real downside some of these hitters. Kristen Yelich, I think we all want to think he can get back to that gear he had a few years ago, but I've read enough analysts who are just really concerned about his ground ball tendencies and whether he can get back to, to where he was. Um, but, you know, if he can, that's going to be one of the best contracts uh, of the auction. I like the Tommy fan buy. I think that's a, a decent buy low. Um, you know, he came into the auction with a pretty strong core of of homegrowns and keepers on the on the on the offensive side. And so that stands, um, you know, clearly the infield is is really strong, probably one of the best. Um, can I can I jump in for a quick second, Sean? Yeah. When I look at Nate's team, I don't think he's going to give any categories away. Except maybe stolen bases every week, he's going to be competitive and that's not a team I'd be excited to play. I don't know that as I look at the team, I'm like, there is something that jumps out at me that's like, that's his calling card, but that's what's going to make him dangerous. It's so even keeled. He could win any week and it's a good team. It's a very good team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, there may be an argument. I, I think I think Becker's team is, is stronger. Uh, I would put Star's team ahead, but I, I, there could be an argument between Becker and Nate. I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I never really loved the, the certainty on the rankings. So, uh, you know, I, I would put them in a slightly different tier, but I agree. Nate's team is really strong. Um, if I was going to quibble, it would be with a little bit of the the, the risk on the performance side on the offense. Any other thoughts on your on your worthy opponents, Mr. You, 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 you didn't mention Trevor Bauer, which, uh, ah. you know, I, which I thought was interesting. I mean, I I thought he was an interesting target. I thought... 23 was a little bit too much to be uh, paying for the complete unknown that he is. I mean, you know, if he pitches two thirds of the season, it's a great buy, but I don't know. It's hard. It's just hard to know what is going to happen there. And there's just a lot of, that was, I, I thought he'd go in like the 10 to 15 range. And so to see him go for as high, it was a silent auction guy, I think, but yeah, it just was, was surprised he went for as much as he did. Yeah. So I, Chris, I, I, I lost a bet on the podcast last year and I'm, I'm going to not make this one but I offered a bet to Becker a couple days ago about what day we see 
Trevor Bauer make his first appearance. Uh, and Becker, you, do you mind my, my saying what you said or do you want to say it? No, please go ahead. So you, you were willing to set the market at June 1, and I should have jumped all over that because uh, there's no way that he's pitching by June 1. Like, I, I don't even know if he's pitching this year, right? I, he hasn't even started throwing, and I, I don't think the Dodgers are going to touch that. So I think at some point this becomes uh, what are you paying for? Do you, are you sure he's pitching next year? Um, we could have an hour discussion about how the MLB handles uh, issues when uh, men treat women badly. And um, we know it's a big issue for the NFL, and the NFL has, has taken their stance. But uh, I, I don't think that they want the PR nightmare. I think that this is a guy that they're going to sort of blackball for a while. If they could I, take I, Barry Bonds and make him not play for as long as they did, like this, Trevor Bauer is not going to play. That's my take. Yeah, I don't want to go too far into the weeds on this, but it. I think the likely outcome here is I think it comes down to the Dodgers, and the Dodgers seem to have made it pretty clear that they don't want to play him, whether even if they're if the league allows him to play. And so, do the Dodgers pay him to not play, or do they release him and does he go pitch somewhere else? I think that's the question this year. Or can they subsidize the contracting? And just trade him away to someone. Right. Yeah, we're right. not talk about this as well. I, I have the same reaction, Star. I thought he would go for an okay for like a 10 to 15 price. Um, but I was surprised. Partly because I could have seen a rebuilding team pay this much, but since he's right. very much in the thick of it, I was surprised. So, you know, we'd have to ask Nate, but I he has to be a little bit more optimistic on how much Bauer is gonna play this year. I'm with you, Chris. I, there's a huge variance here. It's possible that another team will be like, hey, we want him. We'll take the PR hit, like a, a Bill Belichick type move where you just kind of take on the black sheep and do whatever you do. But yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm very uh I'm very pessimistic about his playing time this year. So I am almost too embarrassed to admit how much time I spent thinking about this after Ian introduced the fact that he planned to nominate him at silent auction. First credit to Ian, I thought that was a brilliant way to handle it. Uh, full disclosure, I had Bauer's RFA rights uh, because I was willing to kind of you know bet on the fact that I think he will play, which is not any sort of judgment on his character or, or past actions. It's simply a, a, a cynical bet into the fact that I think he will be playing sooner than we all believe, think will happen or maybe right. Um, but once, um, you know, but my plan was to sneak him through in round 15 to 20, or even after lunch, if that was a possibility. But, um, Ian made very clear in that email to the league that he was going to nominate him silent auction. And suddenly I had to think, all right, well, how much, <laughs> let's, let's put up a number. How, how high am I willing to go? And I, I think I talked myself into anywhere between 17 and 21. I thought, for a, for a few days, I thought a winning bid might be like 12 to 15. And then the more people I spoke to, it was clear that it might be a little bit higher. Uh, I was surprised at 23, but not too surprised. If, if you believe that he's pitching soon, 23 is a perfectly reasonable number, and it's a great deal for next year. If you think he's out all year, it might be some cost. Yeah, I, I think... I think just from a purely financial perspective, I think I think it hurt if Bauer doesn't pitch this year. Like I, I think Nate's team 
suffers because he spent 23, 23 million on a guy who's out for the whole season. And this is a team that is kind of, we talked about in an earlier episode, kind of in the last year of a window. And I think it was just maybe not a risk I would have wanted to take on in his position. So I don't want to be a party pooper, but uh, always with an eye on the one hour mark. We got 10 minutes to go. We still have a lot to cover. So I say we move on unless there's any last burning thoughts on Mr. Bauer. Now let's move on. So All very. Right. Let's hear about the tones and the powers. Real quick. Yeah, very quickly. I mean, uh, our esteemed co-hosts have both put together some excellent teams, clearly performed very well last year and had great auctions. We've already talked about Trout um, uh, on the tone side, you know, returns, uh, an excellent offense, uh, some additions this year with some upside, Cabrian Hayes, I think people are mixed on him, but you know, I, I, I'm optimistic. Um, Andrew Benintendi at Util, you know, I'm not a huge Andrew Benintendi fan. Uh, shortstop, there's a glaring hole. I just, if only, if only Becker had something that could, could fill that hole. Uh, Nothing guy, to be done, I don't think. Uh, maybe pre pre-peak but getting close so mid-season I'm, I'm expecting we might we might hear from from someone in his minors which could be a, a real game changer for him um and and i think over the next 10 weeks maybe platooning and some matchups maybe maybe a pickup of a hot shortstop over a few weeks i think there's plenty of 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 technique to you to use there to to fill that hole in the meantime on the pitching side um you know i i don't fully trust robbie ray uh, you know, he's highly ranked among starting pitchers coming this year, you know, just given his, his repertoire, two pitch pitcher. And I just worry sometimes command goes away from a guy and, and he could be back to what he was, you know, a few years ago. So I, I, that's my only real concern on the pitching staff. I think the bullpen like, remains a strength. I like, um, I like Erod as an auction buy and, um, yeah, I know we're running low on time, but I, I think Becker returns, you know, a really solid squad and clearly has some some help, big help coming on, on the farm. Um, Mr. Starr has a really impressive roster all, all the way through. Um, you know, no real notable holes on offense. Um, you know, Joey Votto had a great year last year. I'm a, I have a soft spot for Votto. He is pretty old, uh, so so he might he might regress again. Um, I wouldn't necessarily count on it, but it, but it's a risk. I don't really see much else to worry about on offense. Andrew Vaughn does have a late-breaking injury. Uh, I'm forgetting what it is, but uh, it said he's uh, only going to miss one to two weeks, fortunately. But it looked like it might have been worse when it happened. Yeah, I like the Will Smith buy. I mean, I think he is probably going to be the best catcher in fantasy for the next few years, barring Adley Rutschman coming up and, and killing it right away. So I think that's going to be a nice uh, contract moving forward. Um, Bregman went for, I think, a pretty a pretty good price, if you believe that he's going to bounce back, which I do. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you, you came in with one of the strongest pitching staffs and you've got what I think is the best deal in the auction for a starter at Joe Musgrove. We already addressed it up front. I wish I could have gotten Musgrove at that price went for at least 10 million under what I would have thought that that's actually a really strange one. I think, you know, with the, with the trouts and the, um, you know, the other premium bats that kind of stopped around the high forties, uh, 50 mark, I could see it. 
but I just don't understand why there are more, more bids on Musgrove there. Um, you know, bullpen could use a little bit of work. I, I don't think you ever really spend much on the bullpen. So that was clearly delivered. Um, but yeah, strong squad looking real good. I, just a, a real quick question for you, Star. Mm. Um, did you have any regrets about not bidding for Musgrove, given the price, so that you could it's, have kept him? So, so it's funny. Um, I have to tell a brief story about what happened there and why I didn't do that. So I actually traded those rights to Josh for Alex Bregman's rights way earlier in the offseason when I had a lot more money and just assumed that'd be matching on Cole. And I was like, well, I can't afford Cole and Musgrove, so I'll trade away Musgrove's rights. And then I realized I'd lost all my cash and I couldn't afford coal. And so I panicked and got Musgrove's rights back, to, at which point Josh was like, well, I'm going to bid him up. So I knew every time I bid, Josh was just going bid, to keep bidding because he was the one who was at 33. And I was like, I, I, loved, I would love it to have him on a keeper deal, but I think Josh is just going to keep going until like we get into the 40s if I do that. So I'm just going to take him for 33. Otherwise, I'm going to cost myself a lot this year. And I think that was because it allowed me to get both Bregman and Smith, which I did not expect to be able to do. I have no regrets about the decision because I think Josh would have bid me up another like seven, eight million. Yeah, I, I, I love that story. I will say that I do regret not bidding for Trey Turner because I don't think anyone was bidding me up. And I was like, oh, OK. Um, so I, yeah, I would, I would have paid, you know, a few more million just to, just to make that a keeper deal. Um, I was announcing that I got, I got kind of lucky. I know Brophy really wanted Musgrove and Brophy got Woodruff like right before that and then couldn't afford Musgrove. So that really helped. Yeah. Uh, all right. I don't want to shortchange honk ball. So honk, shall we move on? Let's do it. All right. It's honk ball o'clock. Uh, and I'm going to start where we should start, uh, which is, I think Dubner is a prohibitive favorite here. Um, and I, I think it's the only division that has a prohibitive favorite going into this year. Um, I think Dubner's offense is to the league what, uh, what Mark's pitching is to the league, right? No, it's, Tim's offense is better than Dubner's offense. It's not actually not that close. Okay. All right. I, uh, that's, that's fair. My apologies. Um, but I think to Union it is. Yeah, uh, as big it's the game. best offense in Union. And who doesn't have any stolen bases? Well, I, it's funny. I came prepared. Uh, I think on that, yes, that is the weak link. However, uh, I think that you could make a case that the the biggest surplus value that Dubner's offense had um, going into the draft, and then the way that he reinforced it was at OBP and OPS. So he could afford the risk on VR. And I loved that signing for him, right? So VR's not projected for the same numbers that I think he's actually going to get. Once he signed that one-year make-it-or-break-it deal with the Cubs, I, I like him to steal more bases than he's projected for. And that could really help him out. Um, I had Tommy Edmond last year. I don't think Tommy Edmond's stolen bases are going to hold up uh, the way that that I think that Dubner is hoping for. And, you know, I think a lot, a lot of ado about nothing for his uh, dropping Bieber only to get him back at $2 million less. But, hey, savvy move because I guess he read the market and got it right. Um, I'm worried about Bieber. I'm just going to say it. I'm worried about Bieber. I think I, I don't like pitchers coming back off injuries. I think there's some question marks there. He makes me nervous. I wouldn't be excited about him headlining my staff. But overall, I think Dubner's got plenty in the tank 
to feel very good about his chances to win this uh, win the division. Um, Morton's old. I think he'll be fine. Uh, Framber Valdez, I think, is perennially underrated. Um, it's a good team. It's a very good team. Um, so I don't really know that we need to say actually that much more about Dubner just because it's it's pretty much a what you see is what you get kind of team. I think the teams that, that we should spend the most time on, because with respect to Ray, he's in a similar spot to Sean and Anton. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time, although we definitely could spend some time on Miles Straw, I, I, although I, I maybe, maybe we don't want to because I don't know. Um, but let's let's take a moment with with Josh. I think just like last year, and I was actually saying something to Josh about this the other day, um, his team and my team seem to always mirror each other. Like when I'm up, he's up. When I'm down, he's down. When I'm injured, he's injured. And guess what? There is no injury right now that is worse than his with Tatis. Because if you put Tatis in that lineup, it's a different story. It's a completely different story. But as it is, you know, Sean Murphy, Anthony Rizzo, Colton Wong, Manny Machado, Josh Rojas, uh, Lorenzo Cain, Avsel Garcia, Eddie Rosario, Nolan Arenado, Yuli Gurriel. Are you afraid of that offense? Because I'm not. Right, it it feels like it's missing a star. It's probably missing two stars, um, and you know there's one of them that's injured, and and we can see where what's happening there. But I I, I feel for Josh because I I think, um, you know maybe he's not in a window like Nate is, but this team I I would have liked to see have better news and and a better draft and and be in better position. I don't think it's Josh's fault though. Um, I, I really think he's just had some some bum luck, same as I feel for myself. Um, I do think that Josh's pitching is underrated, so I will say that. Uh, I wouldn't be stunned if uh, that this is, you know, Walker Bueller's best year. Um, I actually really did like the Aaron Savale signing. Um, uh, I think five and a half million for him is pretty great. Uh, it, was a, it was a trade. He and Tim made that made a trade, I think, yesterday. Yeah, well, that's a good get. Um, because he needed him, and I, I think that that's a that's a good guy for him to have. Uh, and and also like Ho Hum, I think he has one of the better bullpens in our league right now. You know, between Hendricks and uh, and Bummer and Kimbrel, uh, Whistler, I, I I think Josh can win most weeks on pitching. Uh, I think he's going to have a tough time keeping up with Dubner, though. That's really what this comes down to. Um, I'm going to, rather than open it up to each of you after each one of these teams, I think I'm just going to finish and then, and then open up for your thoughts at the end. Um, when it comes to Ryan, Ryan had a very interesting draft, I felt. So Ryan got Max Muncy at 27 million and he's either going to look really smart or really stupid for that one. Um, but I think he's going to look really smart personally. Uh, and, uh, I don't know how many bases Max Muncy's going to steal anymore, but I still think that, you know, he just sets a really nice floor for what for what he's trying to do here um LeMahieu, he needs a bounce back there um I, I i was interested by 16 million for jorge polanco when i open this up i'm going to be curious to know what you guys think of that one trend that i wanted to talk about when we were sort of talking about the overall market trends is that there were deals everywhere except second base and shortstop where i think things were inflated other than trey turner right but 16 million feels like a lot I, I didn't like that one there. Um, I see Star shaking his head at me, so I'll be curious to get his take on that. But um, And uh, with the pitching for him, Max Fried, I really like. Kevin Gaussman to Toronto scares me a little, just for a little regression, because he's obviously 
not in uh, San Francisco anymore. Um, I like Sonny Gray to bounce back. Michael Kopech, if he's healthy, is going to be a really good stud. So Ryan's going to be right there with him. I, you know, I think Ryan probably I would pick over Josh right now based on health to finish second, but I could see that one going either way. One of those two teams is going to need to overperform to really challenge the three union squads for a playoff spot, though. Um, so, you know, good luck to those gentlemen. Um, I, I'll take 30 seconds on Ray here. Um, I really like Clayton Kershaw. I'm not sure he makes sense on this team, though, because I don't know how much Ray's going to be able to turn him for. But hopefully he gets off to a good start and Ray can then can turn uh, Kershaw around for some value. And I think Ray did what I would have done, which is he went out and he got uh, a, a very good hitter that he's going to be able to trade at excellent value at some point this season. So his mission is to trade Ramirez and to get a really good return. Um, I think if he does that, based on you know the fact that he's got Bobby Witt coming up, and I could see this team actually being competitive in the next 12 to 18 months. But this year is not going to be the year for him. So um, last thing I wanted to make note of on, on uh, Ray's squad, he did get Sean's favorite, Will Myers, at only $5.5 million, and I wanted to poke a little fun at Sean for that. Um, I don't know if, if Will Myers is anything anymore, but that's a fine price to pay, I felt. Um, yeah. And he stole Steven Matz from me. That's about it. Gentlemen, thoughts on, on the honk ball and extra points if you can honk at us. I'm not going to try and honk, but I will say that I thought Jorge Planco might have been one of the, the deals of the auction. I, th I was going to say the same thing. I thought, yeah. I thought the Polanco deal was a great buy. That's what's fun about fantasy baseball is, is two different, very reasonable people can come to totally different conclusions about a particular player. Chris uh, doesn't like Jorge Polanco. He just doesn't like him. And that and that's fine. Um, I, but I, I think you're right, Sean. It really is a bias. Like I, I just don't believe. I'm sorry. Every time that he the, like the numbers seem false to me. I, I, I just don't understand. <laughs> he, I'm, I'm sorry to cut off the th the, your thought there, Becker. Uh, I was just going to quickly add. I almost traded for Polanco a couple years ago. I unwound it because I miss. I had misunderstood a deal with Mark that Polanco was only on a K3. I thought it was a K2. But I remember at the time talking with Chris, and Chris was like, Jorge Polanco, what the hell are you interested in there? And then he had that great year. So, Chris, your hate. Now he's had a couple of great Polanco years. screwed me from a good trade. Yeah, I think yes. at some point, Chris, you have to let go uh, of your biases and just trust the projections. And as far as the projections for Polanco, they liked him and they had him at least as a $20 million player. And I thought with inflation, he'd probably go for 25. So this represents quite a bit of savings uh, as far as I can, I'm concerned. And then specific to the player, I think it's for real. He, his pull rate is crazy. Um, you know, it, that might be exploited, but I think the improvements uh, will be backed up by the underlying metrics. So I thought your analysis is strong. I just wanted to touch in on Jorge. Yeah, he, he, his barrel rate last year was like twice his career high coming into the season. Like the guy just hits the ball much harder than he used to. And that's, you know, he was a guy who didn't have power when he was when he was the prospect. And they, you know, he's what, 27, 28 years old, 28. If I have a bias and, and I do, it's usually against these, you know, mid to late career hitter, like they found it kind of things. Yeah, he found it at 27. You know what that is when you peak. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll admit I'm, I'm likely wrong, but if Polanco sucks, you heard it here first. 
Um, all right. We are past the hour point. We try really hard not to do that. Uh, but I do want to give time for closing thoughts because if we're ever going to go long, we should go long on the one after the auction, I feel. Um, this okay. has been a lot of fun, but um, I want to open things up and 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 just say, you know, this is a open forum now for your final thoughts, gentlemen. I, I wanted to chime in just real quick on Honkball. I think your assessment's pretty dead on. Um, you know, I think Dubner's the prohibitive favorite there. I don't really understand why Hughes left 40 million on the board. Um, and I think this team could have been a competitor had he spent that 40 million. Uh, I think it's a real shame that he, I think you're going to be surprised. He's going to come in fifth in my rotation ranks, but the offense sucks. It's a terrible offense. And the pitching's not like so good that it's going to be able to carry that team. And it's a shame because if he had bought, you know, two more $20 million players, we might actually have a good team here. And I don't know what he was doing. And it's it's kind of a shame that that's how it panned out. Well, let me, let me respond to that really quickly because I – so everybody knows that BJ and I were done like an hour before everybody else, which is its own problem, okay? But I walked away and I was surprised to see that money. But two things happened in this in this year that are different from any other year, okay? The first one is Mark stockpiling the cash. The second is a team leaving the draft with 40 million. I don't hate it because do you know what everyone wants during the season? Money. And it's the one thing that, you know, okay, well, Sean's shaking his head at me, but yeah, I, I, I like, I think money, money sweetens deals. Money makes things happen. Yeah. But look at the cash carryover from everyone else this year. It's actually like, it's higher on that. I mean, Mr. Becker might need some money, and and I, I would be happy to help him out there. With, and with I know, the, yeah, I know where I'm going to look for it. Yeah, but I, I I hear what you're saying, Chris, but I feel like this year, yeah, maybe all that extra money explains some of these values. It's not just Ryan. We'd have to do an analysis, but I think this average carryover cash in, into the free agent budget is higher this year. So I'm, I'm just not sure Ryan's going to be able to use it. So I'm also a little bit perplexed. Ray's also carrying sixteen million, which is not a small amount. Um, all right, well, fair points, Becker. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I want to credit Sean for an accurate assessment of um, uh, my team in particular. This is not going to surprise you, Chris, uh, but the tones are going to struggle this year. The tones <laughs> are, frankly gearing to 2023. Um, and so, you know, it's it's going to be a, a, a tough road to compete with somebody like Star, somebody like Nate, even Ian, having retooled his uh, pitching staff. So please sleep on the tones because I really think it's uh, this may not be the year for them. It was kind of hilarious because Becker texted me a few days ago being like, hey, like, what's your unbiased opinion of my team's weaknesses? And I like went into it, like not thinking about the context. And I was like looking at it, I was like, it all looks pretty good. But like, what's up with shortstop? Like, this is like a dumpster fire. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. I, I had <laughs> I had the same revelation when he was trying to trade me from Miguel Rojas. I was like, dude, like, what? <laughs> I was like. That's not like the answer, man. And I was like, oh, wait, you have both Jazz and Wanda Franco sitting there. I see how this is going to work. Well, I was trying to draft with the, uh, you know, under the premise that 
I would not promote them at all this year, like that they just didn't exist. Uh, so that was, that's kind of how I drafted. Uh, I planned on, sp on spending money at shortstop, but that plan went to hell once I got trapped, which I, I'm not complaining about. But my plan was to play in the Jorge Polanco, Carlos Correa, um that you know uh Corey Seager that type of pool and it just it never ended up happening I do think Isaiah kind of Falefa can um be a stopgap but no they're I mean you're right Sean they're they're certainly not as good as Stars team and they'll probably finish fourth well I mean I, I think is now you set yourself up for like you you promote Franco and this is like best offense in the league kind of situation maybe <laughs> third maybe if i promote franco maybe third These because you have trout we, you have, we have any reason to think franco will have a non-linear development like where he i mean I, I wouldn't think so but you know sometimes there's a little bit of a sophomore hangover all right well, well i got we're running, a, we're running a little long i realize chris we're you're, you're no i got booted from the call but you know that i appreciate michael doing his his bit because uh, these are not the droids we're, you know, you're looking for. Not but, a bit, man. Not a bit. Oh, get over yourself with your bit. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, I, I think that that you're done now. You're you're on you're on mute, friend. Uh, so, Sean and and Star, any final thoughts before we close this sucker up? Just uh, like I'm ready to call. Yeah, no, just uh, appreciating the dynamics of a selling team. Uh, Chris, you talked about it last time where Anton was was buying picks and not leaving himself as much budget to buy assets to trade. And then I, I was in the middle of contemplating the strategy, didn't attend the last pod when you're talking about it. And then Ian made the good point of like, I made the decision to buy a fewer lower value guys, partly because I just, I have trouble just putting out absolute garbage if I can help it. Whereas maybe if I had taken a little more budget and applied it to one more top tier player, I could have maximized my odds of trading midseason. but it's just, I have a new appreciation of all of these different dynamics as a as a fire selling team preseason, um, and then yeah, of course Mark's cash pile and his dynamic is is huge here. Like, what is he going to do? That that's definitely impacting the decisions of all of these um, potential sellers because he has most of the double A assets that you want. <laughs> so, just before I give it over to Star. I think you make a really interesting point, Sean, about wanting to have a, a, a team out there that you can be proud of and that will, you know, is an absolute hot garbage. But I will say one thing. I think the most important thing is having good players to trade. Second most important thing is being the first to the market. Right? Like, and I think that's actually one of the things that has changed about LDB. It, we used to we used to make so much fun of Jeff back in the day for like bailing on the season in week three. We now have like perennially three teams that have bailed on the season you know before the previous year is over so like i think you just got to be working your market and and doing it soon um star final thoughts my friend uh i mean i don't really have much else to add i think from that front the the, the i think it's tricky you got to find that that sweet spot because i feel like teams are unless team and team has like a you know it's clearly going for it and has an obvious hold teams like are gonna like see how the season starts to play out before they want to buy now like i'm not gonna go and like make a huge move now and be like oh i like my team i'm gonna see how this plays out i don't i don't feel like unless there was an injury or something that i would need to like go out and make a move. all right gentlemen we went long that's gonna do it 
We have been talking and we came up to no resolution, but we need a tag phrase to end the podcast before that music comes in. And I'm going to put Sean Crean on the spot right now to come up with our line. So, Sean, you have the next five seconds to, to say what the, the, the sign off. What is it, my friend? Oh, my God. There uh, it is. It's oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>